Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Good morning. I am so excited to be able to take the stage today. Um, I just want to take just a quick second to wish my mom and my mother-in-law Happy Mother's Day. They are watching online right now. Mama, I love you so much. Happy Mother's Day. And to Nana, Happy Mother's Day. I love you ladies so much. Um, I'm really thankful and um, privileged to be able to speak this morning. This is not something that I take lightly. I am filling some mega big shoes. Um, You all know that because you get to hear one of the greatest pastors in the world every single week. Can I get a what, what? Thank you, baby. I don't take this lightly. And so, God, he makes it look so easy, and it's not. Okay, let me just tell you that. I've had so many people praying for me this week. Thank you. I have felt it so much. And um, my husband referred to the small group that I lead every other week and Empowered Women. Let me hear you in the house, Empowered Women. Yes. So that has really helped me. I don't feel as nervous. I'm still like this nervous, but maybe like about this nervous (laughs) because I've had the... um, great honor to to speak every other week to an, an amazing group of ladies and so they they have really helped me um in just getting in that um groove and everything so i appreciate that and i, I love that i asked them if they wanted to take a break this summer and before i could even get them out, out of my mouth they were like absolutely not you'd get no break and i'm so i'm excited about that if you haven't gotten a chance to sign up we're you're welcome anytime to just come and join us come find me after and i'm happy to tell you about that um will y'all pray with me this morning Jesus, we love you so much, and I thank you. This is such an honor for me to stand here, Father, and I just want you to be heard. So, God, I put myself behind the cross, and I pray that your word will go forth. Father, use me as a vessel. I'm emptied out completely, Father, and need you to fill me up and speak what only you want to be spoken through me today. I pray that we will leave changed because of your word and because of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thought, you know, no, no better way to start off Mother's Day with a good labor and delivery story, right? And all the men said, that's okay. It's not gross. I promise. It's not going to be too gross. This is the labor and delivery story of the one and the only, my oldest child, Beta Bell Powell. She is nine years old right now, and if you know her, you know that she is so smart and so funny and loves to entertain, but she's got a stubborn streak a mile wide, and that started in utero, because Veda Bell Powell's uh, due date was March 17th, and she did not make her debut on March 17th. No, no, no. She waited one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight days later to make her debut, so the day has come. Finally, we're like, all right, we got to get this baby out. Troy and I go to the hospital. We are so excited. It's super early in the morning. You know, they got to get you there before the birds start chirping. And so we get in there. We, we, I think we wait for a couple of hours to actually get into a room. So we're like, okay, we're, you're like, hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait at this moment. And so we finally get back into a room, and she's, you know, running all my vitals. The nurse is there, and she's asking me all these questions. I'm in my gown. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is gonna, we're going to start the process of having our first baby. This is so exciting. And she's going through this questionnaire, right, <clears throat> asking me all these things. We get towards the end of it, and one of the last questions that she asked me was, have you eaten anything today? And I was like, well, and see what, what had happened was, was that the doctor told me not to eat anything. But see, Veda gets her stubbornness honest, and I have low blood sugar. And so that morning, I did have a little cereal. 
but in that moment, okay, I had this, like, angel and devil moment, like, do I tell her the truth? Because if I don't, then obviously there's a reason I probably shouldn't have eaten anything, and so there might be something to that. But if I tell her, what's going to happen? Is this going to, like, stall the process? We're going to have to wait even longer, blah, 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 blah. So the goody-goody in me won out, and so I told her the truth, and I said, actually, I, I, I had just a tiny, tiny bowl of cereal. And you would have thought I told her I murdered somebody just a tiny, tiny bit because she thought she slammed her pen down on her board and walked out of the room. I was like, uh, I think I did something bad. <laughs> and so after a few minutes, she comes back in and says, you have to go home. We can't admit you when you have food on your stomach and starts like taking all the stuff off of me. I have to get dressed and we go back home without a baby. We were expecting to leave the hospital with a baby. So she tells me, do, are you listening? Do not eat anything. Okay, I got it. I got it. Don't eat anything. So we go home. We come back that night. It wasn't terrible. We get to come back that night. And actually, I can be thankful for the bowl of cereal now because what ended up happening was my water broke on its own. I just needed that little extra time, you guys. Veda Bell just needed that few extra hours to make her debut. And that's something that was really important to me. I kind of wanted to go into labor naturally, which is why I waited so long to let them induce me. And my doctor was like, no, 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 this is far enough. And so finally, the time has come. So I'm in labor and everything. I still have the text message saved that I sent to my mom. So I, it, we get there that night. I fall asleep and we're, you know, I'm hooked up and everything's ready to go. And just kind of waiting for everything to start. And at 5.42, I think in the morning, is when my water broke. And I remember texting my mom, uh, Mom, my water broke. I'm in labor. And she said, I'm on the way. And it was just like the coolest thing. So that started the whole process. And, of course, however many hours later, it was a, a pretty decent labor, if, if you can have a decent labor and delivery. And then Veda Bill Powell makes her debut. The doctor hands her, holds her right up. And the first thing that I think is, what the heck? You look just like your daddy. <laughs> and she did. She did. It, looks, it looked exactly like... How precious is that, though? Shiny and new. But that was my first thought was, how dare you look like your father after I have carried you around in my belly for over nine months. But, of course, immediately we both fell in love, and that is the labor and delivery story of my sweet Veda Bell. Now, I want to talk to you about a different labor and delivery story, a biblical one, and it is the labor and delivery of the Israelites out of slavery into the promised land. And we're going to catch up with them um, right as they are outside of the promised land. So just a quick nutshell version, if you're not familiar with the story of the Israelites, they were enslaved to the Egyptians as Pharaoh as their lead. And so God sends Moses to free them from slavery, from captivity, from horrible, horrible conditions. God frees them. That you know the story. If you've um, heard any kind of Bible stories as children, God parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. God performs so many miracles and provides everything that they need as they journey this long journey to the land that God has promised them, has promised generations ago. And he said, it's time. It is time to go get your land that I have promised you. So they are right outside of this promised land, Canaan, and they are ready to go. So God tells them, go ahead and send some people in there to scout it out. And this is where we're going to pick up in Numbers 13. 
It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had, that, had, that had taken, they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it, has, it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the, descend, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. And so because of their disobedience and their decision to not proceed and go take the promised land, God says, because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to have God as an enemy, okay? And so this kind of sets us up for what I want to talk about. I, I get reading this, I get so frustrated with the Israelites. I'm like, y'all, it's right there. Just mm, go take it. And I'm so frustrated for them and at them. But then I'm like, you know what? I kind of get in a 40-year mindset sometimes, you know? And what could have taken me probably this long? It actually says that ge geographically, it only would have taken the Israelites 11 days to get there. And they ended up wandering around. For 40 years. That's crazy. But then I think like, man, I wonder how long I have taken sometimes to, for something to click with me. And the Lord's like, girl, this would have taken you just a few days to get where you're not so hard-headed, but instead it takes, it takes me a lot longer. And so I, I can relate to the Israelites in that way. Um, I kind of want us to just unpack that a little bit. Like, what is it that keeps us from getting to that place and from possessing the land that God has given us? And I think one of the, one of the ways, um, one of the things that keeps us from that is fear. I think it's important to talk about um, the fact that there are two different types of fear. There's a healthy fear, and then there's an unhealthy fear, right? So according to this one website that I was looking this up on, it says, healthy fear is stimulated by real threatening danger and then disappears when the danger is no longer present. Unhealthy fear, however, is stimulated by perceived or imagined danger, which usually isn't dangerous at all. Since there is no clear directive for unhealthy fear, rather than inspiring us to take action, it causes paralysis. I think that this is so interesting, and it reminds me of a time where I had to have healthy fear for my husband, okay? So he got asked to perform a marriage ceremony by a friend one time, and he was really excited. This was like an old high school friend. He's like, oh, man, Adam called me. He wants me to perform his marriage ceremony. I'm so excited. I'm like, that's cool. He's like, yeah, he wants to go skydiving and, you know, like perform the ceremony up there. And I'm like, but you're going to do it on the ground, right? And then he's going to go up on the plane and like jump out, right? And he's like, well, actually he wants me to go up on the plane with him. I was like, oh, okay, wow, that's aggressive. Um, 
And so he's like, all right. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, you, should, you can fly up there and fly right back down. He said, yeah, but babe, Adam said that he would either pay me to do the marriage ceremony or pay for me to jump out of the plane. I said, honey, the only jumping you're going to be doing is on that trampoline we got in the backyard. You better go say, I'll take cash or check. Thank you very much. And so I had to have healthy fear on behalf of my husband. Anybody, any wives out there are just like, Mm-mm, nope, I know you're not scared, but I'm scared for you. And to be honest, you guys, can you plug your ears for just a second, honey? I'm going to tell a part of the story that you've never heard before. Shh, just go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. Just plug your ears. The honest truth is I wasn't actually scared of him, like, dying because I know he's going to heaven. I'd meet him there one day. I was scared of him leaving me to raise these children by myself. Okay, you can unplug your ears. <sighs> That's a healthy fear right there, y'all. That is a healthy fear. I cannot do it on my own. If you've met my children, you know. So the Israelites decide, based on this um, report from the spies, whoa, this is, we cannot go and possess this land. So we're going to catch up with them right here on Numbers 14. The Israelites are like the most complainingest of people. If you've read anything about they just... They don't get it. Even though God has been there for them and provided for them over and over again, they just can't seem to get it through their fixed goals. And so it says, Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us into this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? I think that they must have had temporary amnesia. Because they're talking about returning to slavery, where it was not a good time. Um, and I just kind of want to like shake their shoulders and be like, don't, don't you remember what that was like? You were a slave. They, at one point, they had the Israelites making their own bricks out of straw. Like, I'm no mason, but that doesn't sound fun. They, they stripped away their supplies and said, you got to figure it out on your own. And they were talking about returning to that, their fear was that great. Isn't that interesting that the Israelites were returned to something so horrible just because it was familiar? And I think that some of us can get in a space sometimes that even though it's toxic and even though we know it's not good, we'll stay in that place because it's familiar. It's all we know. It's how you process things. Every conversation, every decision is is process through that experience. We never want to leave it too far. And so we miss out on that land that God has promised us. Even though it's torture, you'll stay there instead of stepping out of your comfort zone. What if it doesn't work? What if I fail? Uh, if I never, never try, then I'll never be disappointed. That's our mentality. I believe that there are some things that you won't even realize that are in you until you're placed in situations that can bring it out of you. That's can be, this can be good or bad. For instance, I didn't know I was crazy. Okay? I didn't realize that I had it down in me to be crazy. And then the Lord gave me children. And now the crazy just oozes out of me all the time because they make me crazy, right? But... I also didn't know how desperate I could be for Jesus until he gave me kids. A few months ago, I was, had been struggling for a while with these really um, 
consistent heart palpitations. They weren't painful, but they would just take my breath away and just, they were always with me. Just my heart was just like racing a mile a minute, pounding and pounding and pounding. And I could not figure out what was going on. Um, You know, I lead a pretty healthy lifestyle. I try to take all my vitamins, all that kind of stuff, keep my stress level low. But sometimes it's not always... Um, it doesn't always work. And so I'd actually reached out to my good friends, Kelly and Ed. They're both in the medical field. And I said, what is going on? What, is there anything that I can take, any vitamin supplements, anything I could take for this heart? I haven't even told you guys this story, so I'm excited that you're in here. Um, and so I, I, got, um, I made an appointment with Ed, and he has this technology that can... I'm so not like using all the right words. If you want to know more, ask Ed. But he, he has this technology that can basically read um, your vitals and tell you how it correlates to different um, things that are also going on like mentally and spiritually and things like that and, and how they correlate. Like your body will tell you, oh, this is what's going on um, using this technology. And so he had me hooked up and everything. We were going through the process and one thing after the other kept coming up. Everything was, you know, was looking pretty good, pretty average, but my adrenal glands were like firing and he's like it's it's telling me that you're in a constant state of like fight or flight and you're never really able to like calm down I said yeah that that makes a lot of sense based on my life and my children um and so that didn't really surprise me he said it it's it's saying you're you're having trouble letting go of something and I was like trying to rack my brain like what I don't mm, I'm trying to think like what am I I've, I've dealt I don't have any like undealt with, you know, relationship issues or unforgiveness or, or sin that I know of or anything like that. And so I, I didn't really know. He gave me great advice. Here's some supplements you need to take. Make sure you get enough sleep, enough water, all the stuff. And um, I kind of went on my way. And a couple of days later, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine from um, back in Memphis. Her name's Rachel. And we have kids about the same age. And so we can, you know, just kind of really go back and forth and vent to each other and really help each other and lift each other up and give each other advice. And I was talking to her about Veda being in third grade, and she's nine now. She had just turned nine um, when this conversation happened, and just telling her how, like, I'm, I'm so um, out of my element. I'm used to having my babies here under my wing where I can protect them, and, you know, I want them in a bubble. You know what I mean? I don't want them to hear what the world has to say, um, but I know that. I have to loosen my grip a little bit, right? That's life. But I was having a real hard time doing that, y'all. And I didn't, even, I didn't realize how hard of a time I was actually having until I was having this conversation with her. And I was talking about how she comes home from school and she's telling me all these different things that she's heard. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, I just want to have like a little uh, bug on her so I can like hear all of her conversations. And then when she gets home, be like, sit down, we're going to talk about that. And she's got friends, um, a, a neighborhood friends now. So she's out on the playground. And I'm like, I can see you, but I can't hear what's going on. And so it's driving me nuts. And so I'm talking to Rachel about this. I'm just spilling all this. And she's like, Darla, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You have got to just let go and trust God. And like, I'm talking to her while I'm like on the Stairmaster at the gym. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm holding on. I just want to control everything. Blah, blah, blah. And so I'm having this moment in the gym. I'm like crying on the Stairmaster. If you ever see somebody crying in the gym, just let them have their moment. All right? It happens. Your blood's flowing. Everything's going. I'm just like, wow. I really, that's what it was. That's what it was that came up on the thing that I needed to let go of control of my kids. Not that I need to stop parenting them, not that I need to stop guiding them and doing all the right things, 
But inside, it was driving me nuts that I could not control everything that she was exposed to. And God was like, if you'll do what I've called you to do, I will take care of the rest. Let go and let me handle that. So that was such a neat moment that God completely took away that fear. And don't you know that I have not had heart palpitations since that moment? Yes, you can clap. That's amazing. I'm really thankful for that. But that's just a a sign that God is so for us that if we will let go and give him that, whatever that is, fear, a fear of letting go, a fear of what's to come, whatever it is, he wants to come in and replace that. But y'all, there's There is something in you that you don't know is there, and God wants to bring that out of you. And we have to be able to cut ties with that, with what's familiar. That's what was familiar for me, controlling everything that they said and did. And slowly but surely, I'm having to release that and give in to what God has for them. And so I think in that way, if you're finding yourself in a place where you're only in this place because it's familiar, God is calling you out of that place and saying, let me take that fear and replace it with trust because I've got you. I love you so much. I love everything that you're about. Let me take it. The next thing that I think that keeps us from possessing the land is this thought that I've been disqualified. The Israelites disqualified themselves by believing the report of the 10 spies, right? That there were only two that said, no, we can do it. Let's go take the land. The other 10 said, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. And maybe you've been through something where you feel like this is just stronger than I am. I I have a really good friend of mine um, that we've been friends for a, a really long time and I was just talking to her recently, and she gave me permission to share this story. And um, she, this, was, this was 10 years ago that this happened. And my friend found herself in a situation where she felt completely disqualified to do anything for the Lord. She was married, and um, her husband was on staff at a church. And um, it came to light that she had been having an affair with the pastor's son. And it was devastating, not only for her, but for all the people around them at the church they were at. And after a little time had passed, um, I reached back out to her and just wanted to be there for her. I didn't know what she was struggling with. um, And so I wanted to reach out to her. We were really good friends before that. And so I really felt prompted by the Lord just to reach out. And I was able to kind of tag along on her journey of healing and she will tell you that it was not one that was quick, painless, or easy. It was extremely difficult and extremely hard, but she gave way to the Holy Spirit and humbled herself and said, if you'll heal me, I'll I'll do whatever it takes. But she said, I'll never serve at a church again. She felt so much shame and so much guilt that she had made up her mind. That's, that's not in the cards for me anymore. I've disqualified myself from ever being used like that again. And slowly but surely, she started looking for churches to attend and everything. And she wanted to go someplace where nobody knew her. Nobody knew her story. And she finally happened upon a church that um, she found. And she didn't know anybody. And nobody knew her. So this was great. She could kind of slide in there and just start attending church again. And that was really good for her just to 
just to attend church and just go and receive the word. And as time passed and she starts getting more comfortable and everything, people start to befriend her. People on staff start to befriend her. And they start asking her, would you like to, would you like to serve? And she's like, no, 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 that's okay. That, that's not for me. And just would come up with excuses left and right. And finally, a, a, good, uh, a woman that she had befriended on the staff said, what's going on? Why don't you want to, you know, serve? And she said, you don't know my story. And the lady looked at her plain as day in the eyes and said, I don't have to. I don't need to know your story. I know my God. I know he wants to use you no matter what you've been through. So after that conversation, it still took some time and took some healing. Um, but slowly but surely, she started serving in the church and eventually started allowing that healing process to take over her. And fast forward 10 years through the healing process, and the healing process never ends, right? You're, still in, you're always in that healing process. And she would tell you that. She would never say, I've arrived, I've made it, check. She's always grateful for the for the process but 10 years later she's married and has three beautiful kids and is on staff serving at her church and is over the small group and next steps program and I just think what a story of feeling so disqualified she's gotten the opportunity to speak to so many women who have been in her shoes and she has gotten the opportunity to counsel them through that and so I just think that the very thing that you think disqualifies you is the thing that qualifies you the most because you have been through something that somebody needs to hear. You have a story to be told, and the enemy wants you to quiet. Shh, no, don't, don't say that. That's, mm -mm. You stay in that place of shame and guilt. And God is saying, no, no, no. If you'll give me your mess, I'll make it a message. Just trust me with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, God gave me that. You can clap for him. But sometimes we think that we're just alone and that nobody's ever, you don't understand, nobody's ever been through what I've been through. And I get that, and that may be very well valid. But I wanted to show you something. Stay with me. This is in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 10. I love this scripture. It says, that which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. See, oh, hold on. Sorry, I'm, miss, I'm losing my place. I think I had them skip a verse. That's my fault. I did that. I, I made y'all skip a verse. That's okay, though. Um, we're just going to skip on to that verse in Ecclesiastes. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this? This is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. When God wrote the scriptures, I don't know if you know this or not, if you've ever had, had this thought, but he was able to write them with us in mind. And that's because God is omnipresent. And so he is able to be everywhere at the same time. Can I tell you that God doesn't need the time stone, that he is the time stone? That when he wrote scriptures, he was able to see us, even though scriptures were written back in Jesus' day, when God breathed the scriptures, he was able to have us and our stories and our life in mind and our generations to come in mind. That is our God. He is omnipresent. He is able to be all places at all times. So it is not surprising to God our struggles today. Okay, This is not taking him off guard. 
But just as my husband spoke last week in his message, and if you missed it, please go listen to it on our podcast or our, our YouTube channel. But he said, he said, God mapped out your plan before he made you the person. So whatever God started, meaning God has a plan for your life, and just because you messed up doesn't mean that the plan changed. Okay, God is a God of second chances. God's plan will be carried out. According to Philippians 1.6, God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You have not been disqualified. No matter what your story is, no matter how horrible you think that it is, the enemy wants you to believe that. That's where we draw the line. Everybody else is all right, but what you've done, sorry. That's a lie. You know a good way to quantify something? If you're ever starting to believe something, always, always ask, who told me that? And if it's not God, you need to throw it in the trash can because the enemy is so cunning and clever and will come at you and it'll sound so good and it'll sound like your own voice sometimes. But if it, if it is not from God himself, don't believe it because you are qualified through Jesus. He actually, he actually loves to use messy people. Look, I mean, look, just look at any, literally, you can go, mm, yep, messy person, messy person, messy person. Like, it's here, y'all. He does not, he does not like to use people who think they have it all together and put together. He wants the cracks. He wants the brokenness. He wants the messes because those make the best messages. Why do we like to follow people like on YouTube and Instagram and stuff like that? Because they have a story. They're putting it out there and saying, hey, this is real talk. This is real life. This is me. This is where I came from. This is where I'm going. This is where God has me going. He wants you to take the land. So there's two things that we need to do to be able to take this land. Number one is to use the right authority. There had already been people inhabiting the land, right? So they couldn't just like walk in and set up camp, right? God told them, you need to go take it, go take the land. So whose authority were they able to do that by? Let's look at Numbers 14 really quickly. God had given them this authority. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land. This is Caleb talking. He was one of the spies that went and didn't get intimidated and said, no, God promised us this. God promised us this. He will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. God had already given them authority to go and take it. I think like the Israelites that we forget the authority that we have, that when you start a relationship with Jesus, that you're given access to something. You're, giving, you're given access to his authority. And I believe that his word is one of the most practical ways that we can use his authority. And I also think that it is the most, one of the most underused weapons that we have today as, as Christians, as believers. And I think the problem is that maybe we don't know how to use it. Okay, so, so we have the authority, all right? God's given us the authority. So the next thing we need to do is we need to take aim. We need to use it and take aim. 
Troy and I just recently got um, through watching this movie called The Highwaymen on Netflix. Got Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. Really good movie. It's about um, these two highway ranger, highwaymen, uh, Texas Rangers, that are used to take down Bonnie and Clyde. Great, great story. It's really entertaining. And there's this one scene, because these are like retired, um, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson are retired rangers. They're a little rusty, a little older, a little out of practice. And so there's a scene where they're practicing their shooting, right? So Woody Harrelson has a little handgun, and he takes aim, and he points at the sign that's nailed to a tree, and he's pow, 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 pow. Nothing, just all over the place. This very last shot, he barely grazes the tree that the sign is on that he's aiming for. And so Kevin Costner pulls out this Colt Monitor machine rifle. It holds 40-round clip in it. And he looks at Woody Harrelson and says, you have no idea what we're up against. Because Bonnie and Clyde had, gone, had been gone on a shooting rampage. And he said, the last shooting rampage that they went on, there were a 1,000 rounds thousand shots fired and so he takes this Colt monitor machine rifle points it at the sign takes aim and blows the thing to smithereens and it is just like shredded and Woody Harrelson's like can I get one of those because he knows what they're about to be up against and this is this is the takeaway from that story you have to know what you're up against and when you know what you're up against you need to take aim. Y'all, the devil is not playing around. I think that it's easy to come in and do church week after week and get a feel-good message and, and feel real good and like, oh, I've, that's nice, that's good. But we don't understand that the enemy is a strategist. He's been planning his tactics against us for a really, really long time. So I'm telling you, if there is something in your life that is keeping you from taking that land, you are not going to get there without taking the authority that you've been given and taking aim. It's just not going to happen. The enemy is too smart. He's too good at what he does. We need to start praying big. And we need to start doing what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9.26. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Another uh, version says, so I run with purpose in every step. This gives our prayers purpose. This is how we take aim. If you want to bolster your prayers, if you want to give them some added firepower, start praying God's word. Because when we take our verbiage, okay, when we use scripture instead of our own words, we're using words that are already pre-approved. So we're not relying on our own devices. We have to, we have to understand the weapon that we've been given. This is such a powerful tool to get you to your promised land. But you know what it's doing in most houses? Dust. You might have the Bible app on your phone. When's the last time you opened it just to let it wash over you? I'm guilty of this. I'm not preaching at you. I'm with you. But when we pray scripture, what it does is it takes the burden off of us and rolls it 
onto his word, which is tried and true. This is where it's at, y'all. This is where it's at. I can't tell you how many desperate times this book has gotten me through. I cling to it like air. I recently came across a journal that I had dating back to like 2008. And I was like, wow, <laughs> didn't even realize I journaled back then. But I have. I don't journal every day. It's kind of an every once in a while type thing. And if you don't, I would really encourage you to do it because I'm, I was literally pouring over the pages so thankful that I had journaled because it just reminded me of how long Jesus and I have been at this thing. I got saved when I was nine years old. I didn't really understand what a relationship with God looked like and meant until I was in high school. So we've been at this for a long time. And it was so neat to be able to look back at my old self and see how God has carried me through. And I had so many scriptures written down. And I just remember... I remember feeling like I wasn't living up to his expectations. But looking back, I can see that I was because all he wanted was me. There was not this place where he, where he wanted me to get to and then it would be like, okay, yeah, you've made it. You've, yeah, let's celebrate. He just wants me. He just wants you. Don't count yourself out because of fear or because you feel disqualified by something that you've done or that's happened to you or a situation that you may, may even be currently in. Don't count yourself out. My prayer as I prepared this whole message, the, the, the foundation, the overarching theme was that you would leave craving more of Jesus. And I pray that over you today because he's where it's at. He is the only source of our true joy. Life is hard. Can I get a witness? Like, life is hard. Life is too hard to do it on your own. We have to. We have to. Don't make it a choice. Don't make it a choice. Make it a have to. A have to. This is life. This is God's love story and instruction book all in one. I pray that you would take it and use the authority that God's given you and use it to take aim on the enemy and take your land. God, I thank you so much for giving me the honor and the privilege to speak your word today, Father. God, I pray this for every person in here as I pray it for myself. God, that we would not let the enemy take one more second away from our destiny. But God, that you would pour out your love and help us to understand it in a way that maybe we've never understood it before. You love us recklessly. It doesn't matter what we've done there's nothing that you can't heal and that you can't use. Matter of fact, you want to use it. 
so I pray that there are some people in here today that can be set free from the bondage that they are in or the idea, the past bondage that they've been in that they have not been able to let go of yet because it's just familiar. God, I pray that we will get a new familiar starting today, that your word will be our new familiar, that as we step into that land that you've called us to, maybe, maybe your promised land is just a better life. Maybe your promised land is getting out of a toxic relationship, getting out of a toxic mindset. Maybe your promised land is a better marriage or doing something that you love, giving you new passion. Whatever that promised land is, let God take you there. Use his authority. Use his word to take aim. I pray that over everyone in this place. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you're going to do in the people of victory. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name.